Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, everyone. I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director. This is the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. Once again, we're recording this podcast in the afternoon as the trial is ongoing. Adam Schiff, the lead House manager, the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, is currently uh, rounding out uh, his second hour of uh, the opening argument he is making in this impeachment trial against President Trump. Remember, the House managers have 24 hours to make this opening argument, and they can do it in three days, in eight-hour chunks. And so far, we've only heard from Adam Schiff. Here on the podcast, we're going to examine everything we've heard so far, and we're going to focus on the big questions at play. Remember, the best place to get breaking news developments on this story all day and night, CNN.com slash impeachment. In a few minutes, I'll be talking with CNN legal analyst Shan Wu. But first, I've got my colleague Lauren Fox on the phone. She's a CNN congressional reporter. Lauren, I'm thrilled to have you. I love going to somebody in the room where it happened. That's a Hamilton reference since that's how Schiff started his opening argument. Um, take us to the Senate floor. You're up there in the United States Senate. What just what is the scene as these opening arguments got underway? Well, essentially, it's a long day last night. Remember, they were here through the evening up until about two o'clock in the morning when they finally voted on the rules to establish this trial. And of course, that came after nearly a dozen amendments by Democrats, all of them failing, but essentially Democrats trying to make the case that they needed more evidence, they needed more witnesses, and that all of that should come on the front end instead of the back end after each side has already made its case. Remember, Democrats' whole argument here has been, if you're in a court of law, why are you going to have witnesses come after each side has already made their case. You want to have those witnesses first, and then you want to use whatever information you get from those conversations to make your case. So none of those amendments passed. So where are we today? Essentially at one o'clock again today, and this is what's going to happen every day until this trial ends, what we saw is members in their seats ready to go. And instead of having any motions, which were due today at 9 a.m., both sides forewent that. They just said, no, we're not going to do that, including the president's team who didn't want to get into a whole back and forth on whether or not to dismiss this trial outright. So at one o'clock, what we saw was Adam Schiff, the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee and one of the impeachment managers, beginning to make that Democratic case. Now, we don't know how long he's going to talk today. He essentially could go for up to eight hours. Remember, they have 24 hours that they can split among three different days. That was a slight change to what we saw in the original resolution, which each side was going to only have two days to make their case, which meant 12 hours a day. And I will tell you that both Republican moderates and conservatives during the GOP launch yesterday raised some big issues with Majority Leader Mitch McConnell about the fact that the resolution only allowed two days of people making their cases, in part because senators don't really want to be stuck on the floor for 12 hours a day. And because 
a lot of Republicans are sensitive to that argument from Democrats that all of these conversations would start to happen in the dead of night when no one's watching. They're arguing we have nothing to hide. We want the public to be able to watch this. So let's split this up over three days right. instead of two. So yeah. that's the change we saw. I mean, listen, all those 5347 votes, I mean, they were preordained. I mean, Mitch McConnell told us weeks ago he had the votes with his conference fully on board uh, to run this trial the way he wanted to run it. Yes, there were some small rules changes that you're discussing there uh, due to some uh, pressure from his uh, uh, members of his Republican conference, I guess a group of 15 or so of them. But I, but the 5347, 5347, I guess Susan Collins at one point uh, uh, went with the Democrats on one of those amendments. But the, the point is that was known. What is not known is how the American people are going to react to what they're hearing now for hours on end about this case being made. And it seems to me that what Adam Schiff is focused on out of the gate here is the abuse of power article of impeachment. He's not really dealing with the obstruction of Congress one yet. He is leading the charge and presenting the case and painting a picture about the entire scheme set up by President Trump and Rudy Giuliani about pressuring the Ukrainians to get an investigation announced into his political rival, Joe Biden. Essentially, right now, he's telling a story on the floor of the Senate, right? He's trying to remind senators what the narrative has been, because remember, a lot of senators were loosely paying attention to what was happening in the House of Representatives. You know, they're all news consumers. They're reading newspapers. They're watching television, but they were not immersed in it day to day like the House members were. So this is sort of the first time they get to hear the story through Adam Schiff. Now, I will tell you that Everyone knows how this ends, right? We know that the president probably isn't going to be removed from office. There aren't the votes to do that. So Adam Schiff's job today and the House Democratic manager's jobs throughout the next three days will be to actually convince a narrow set of Republican moderates that there are holes in this story, that there are still pieces of this story that are untold and that they need to get specific witnesses, including John Bolton and Mick Mulvaney, the president's acting chief of staff, to come and testify as part of this impeachment inquiry. That's going to be his message. And I'll tell you that a lot of Republicans were rubbed a little bit the wrong way by Jerry Nadler's performance last night when he seemed to almost be, you know, pressuring senators, telling them that they're on trial, that this is their moment, you know, to decide what kind of democracy they want to have. That was problematic for making the case to some of those moderates. Remember, we count often three Republican moderates, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, Mitt Romney, who might be willing to vote for witnesses, but you need four. And it's very hard to find that fourth individual. We talk about Lamar Alexander. He's retiring in 2020. He doesn't have to run for reelection. But also remember, he's a close ally of Majority Leader Mitch McConnell's. They've served together for a very long time. He helped negotiate parts of this resolution, but I'm told I shouldn't really be looking at him by his aides as a moderate as much as somebody who really could speak the language of McConnell and Collins and sort of could be a conduit in those discussions. So it's very hard to figure out where that fourth member comes from. That's Adam Schiff and the House manager's job over the upcoming days. Yeah, once again, perhaps... uh... When you're talking about the Jerry Nadler uh, comments and getting under the Republicans again, I, I think he's once again proving why Nancy Pelosi did not hand him the baton uh, to run this process from the get go and why Adam Schiff was uh, given uh, that assignment. I think there's uh, little doubt about that. Lauren, very quickly before you go, just tell me in the senators you saw in the hallway when they arrived back at work today, which one looked the most tired from staying up till 2 a.m.? 
Well, it's funny. I saw Angus King on our air and I was talking with him a little bit before. He seemed to have a lot of spring in his step. In fact, he was pressured and asked a little bit about the fact that one of his colleagues, Jim Risch, was seen falling asleep during the Senate uh, trial yesterday. And he said, you know, I'm not judging. Perhaps he was just concentrating. Um, (laughs) So I, you know, there's a lot of tired faces. I will tell you that I didn't see a whole lot of members going into their committee hearings this morning. It was a little sparse on Capitol Hill. I can bet that a lot of members are sleeping in. Sleeping in. Attendance in the a.m. after a 2 a.m. shift ended uh, not that high. Lauren Fox, thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, as Lauren gets back to work up there on Capitol Hill, we have plenty more to discuss right here on the podcast. Joining me now is CNN legal analyst Sham Wu. Sham, we appreciate your time here. Oh, happy to be here. So um, Lauren was talking about, I just want to get your take on this before we delve into Schiff's arguments today. I do, in the wee hours of the morning, uh, Chief Justice Roberts uh, admonished both sides, the uh, House managers and the president's counsel, about the tone and tenor and language used in addressing, as he called it, uh, the world's greatest deliberative body. I don't know that the Senate lives up to that moniker all that much anymore, but uh, nonetheless, uh, that that is what Roberts uh, was saying. I want you to hear what he said this morning and get your thoughts on the other side. I think it is appropriate at this point for me to admonish uh, both the House managers and the president's counsel in equal terms Uh, to remember that they are addressing the world's greatest deliberative body. One reason it has earned that title is because its members avoid speaking in a manner and using language that is not conducive to civil discourse. Um, In the 1905 Swain trial, a senator objected when one of the managers used the word pettifogging, and the presiding officer said the word ought not to have been used. I don't think we need to aspire to that highest standard, but I do think those addressing the Senate should remember where they are. I never thought pettifogging would be you know, mentioned on a podcast that I was uh, hosting. But, Chan, uh, apart from that word, I, what do you think Roberts was trying to do here? This was day one. So why, what was he trying to do with this admonishment? He's trying to set a tone, and uh, although Roberts has not been a trial judge before, he's read many trial transcripts, it's a very common tactic of a trial judge to admonish both sides early on to make sure they establish control. And also, interestingly, if one side has been somewhat non-civil, then the judge will take care to admonish both sides rather than singling anybody out. So here, it seems pretty clear, at least to me as a former trial lawyer, which side was being uncivil because it's the Republicans who actually called Schiff a liar in their written pleadings. And then they went on to uh, say that Nadler owed the president and his family an apology. So Roberts probably wanted to kind of tone that rhetoric down a little bit, but he's not going to look partisan and say, oh, only you're being the bad guy. He's going to say both sides need to calm it down. Well, didn't and this came after Nadler was accusing uh, the senators in the chamber being complicit in a cover up if they don't vote the Democratic way on witnesses, basically. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I think he was feeling uh, a little bit uh, irritated at that point. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Today, as I was saying, I think Schiff is clearly focused on the abuse of power article out of the gate. um, And. I'm just looking at the TV over my shoulder here to make sure he's still speaking. So now he's into his third hour um, of this presentation uh, of the uh, of the 24 hours he has his side has in making uh, their overall. I don't know. what It's an opening argument, but it seems like they have to present basically the whole case in, the, in that 24 hour period. Um, 
I want you to hear just a bit of how he described, uh, I think he wanted the senators to put themselves in the position of Ukraine, a nation dependent on a more powerful nation for its defense and how inevitably anything that more powerful nation would ask them to do would be felt as pressure. Uh, Here's Schiff on that. Imagine if this country were dependent on a more powerful country for our defense. Imagine we were at war. Imagine we were waiting for weapons to defend ourselves. Something our framers could have understood. Imagine that we found ourselves in those circumstances. And much to our astonishment, we couldn't even get a meeting with our ally. Much to our astonishment, they were withholding aid from us. You think we'd feel pressure? Of course we would. The framers had common sense, and so must we. Are we to accept, well, the president said there was no quid pro quo? I guess that closes the case. In every courtroom in America, jurors, and I know you're not just jurors, I read the Clinton trial, you're jurors and judges. Jurors all over America are told you don't leave your common sense at the door. Well, we don't have to leave our common sense at the door here, too. Two plus two equals four. Shan, how, if you were on Trump's defense team, what is the defense against that? To me, the, he they're in a position to say sort of don't believe your eyes and ears here of of what is clear and apparent. And and I guess I'm asking because you've read through the briefs. They didn't really dispute these facts during the House process. So what do you anticipate their defense to be to that argument that what is plainly before your eyes is what happened here? Well, Schiff is doing something typical of a prosecutor. He needs a victim to make the story compelling. So the Constitution makes a very dull victim. Most Americans don't feel like what Trump did really affected them personally. So he's portraying a true victim, the Ukrainians, who needed the arms. The counter to that for Trump's team is, hey, they got the arms. No harm, no foul. And it's just hyperbole if you're saying that they're actually lives endangered or people were killed because of the withholding of the military aid. So they will accuse them of exaggeration and to say, in any event, what are you talking about? The arms got to them. Right. The aid was released. Right. Yeah. Can I get your overall assessment of, of how you think the, the House managers have, have presented so far and what you make of what you've seen of, of Trump's counsel, even in the debate yesterday, which was just about the rules. What, what did you make of how each side was, was presenting themselves? Uh, I would say that the House managers are by far having the better of this at the moment. And there's a reason for that. First of all, they're highly motivated because given these rules, their, quote, opening argument, as you pointed out, it's kind of a weird opening argument. It's not really an opening argument. Maybe their only chance to present the case. They're taking full advantage of that. They're exploiting that because in all of those amendments and votes last night, each time they put out their case in piecemeal. And it was carefully planned piecemeal. They had video, they had excerpts, etc. So on the Republican side, they're just being pounded by a bunch of these blue waves of arguments coming at them over and over again. And now today, it's starting again, this time for an extended time period, very linear in terms of the timeline. So they are doing a very good job of putting on all their evidence. And it's hard for the Republicans to do anything about it right now. So they're going to have to wait until it's their turn to come back. And do you think Adam Schiff's audience here is the... 100 senators before him or the American people? Uh, well, it is the senators, but in my view, it's 100% the American people. 
and and you think he's making his case that way. You the way you was the way you have watched him make the case. You think he is clearly talking beyond the Senate chamber. Right. I think that the senators for them for the House managers are simply the medium by which they get to put this case out to the American people with an eye towards what's going to happen in 2020. Yeah, it just is so weird because with the it's it's just weird to watch somebody argue a case where the outcome is really known that he's going to be acquitted. And so they're arguing this case with such vigor, the outcomes, known, which gets back to what Lauren was saying. Maybe the ball game here is really try to get some witnesses that that is the ball game that they're playing. Absolutely true. I think it's a short-term ballgame there to get the witnesses, because even if we get the witnesses, the outcome's going to be the same. True. But it makes it a much stronger case to the American people. And if you want to get really legalistic about it... Please do. <laughs> what McConnell That's why want, you're here. <laughs> okay. What McConnell wants is not a trial. He wants kind of like a appellate review of what the House put in. So if this is the appellate review, the Supreme Court is going to be the American people. <laughs> I follow. I follow your chain of your chain of thought there, uh, Shamu. Thank you so much for being here, and my thanks to Lauren Fox as well for appearing on the podcast. As I mentioned, go to CNN.com/impeachment. Keep up with every latest development on the impeachment trial. As always, we'd like to thank our listeners for tuning in. Remember, we've got a new episode every weeknight, so please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcast app is. And while you're there, leave us a rating or a comment. It helps people find the show. We'll see you tomorrow. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.